0: They put in his hand, in his right hand, a reed. Some, about a, something as flimsy as you can find. And they fall down to him. And they, they say, Hail, King of the Jews. And they press that crown of thorns. That, the crown of thorns is interesting because, you know, if you go way back, when sin first came into the world, Genesis 3, 17 and 18, and God has given out his judgments against Adam, against Eve, he said, because of your sin, then the ground is going to bring forth thistles and thorns, thistles and thorns. It's kind of ironic, isn't it, that they're using now these thistles and thorns to create a humiliation and pain upon the Savior who, what's he doing? Why is he doing this? He is doing this in order to die for the sins of the world. So they're mocking him. They're kneeling down. They've got a scarlet robe. Remember the scarlet robe. they rip off his clothes. And he's already been scourged. And his scourging tears open the flesh on your back. So they're ripping off his clothes, putting on some of his other clothes. And they've got this crown of thorns. They get this reed in his hand. And they take the reed and just, you know hit him on the head with it, and they're just all mocking, and, and then, then they're also spitting upon him. You can read it for yourself there. They're spitting upon him. And finally, after they're done, they return his normal clothes to him, and then away he goes. And this is all part of God's plan that the Son, that the son of God would suffer Shame for us. He's trying to explain to us just how hideous sin is. But also at the same time, the Son is dying for us. This was all prophesied. If you want to look at your Bible, Isaiah 50. Isaiah chapter 50. And we'll read the prophecy of some of this. Verse number 6. Isaiah 50. Verse number six. Hundreds of years before these events, here's what it says. I gave my back to those who strike, discouraging, and my cheeks to those who would pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. You see that? Verse six. This is no surprise to God. In fact, it's God's counsel and will that the son go through this and the son submits uh, to the father's will. Before we leave the governor's headquarters here, we might ask, how could these men be so hardened? How can they be so cruel? Well, when you're exposed to sin over and over and over again, this was their daily chore. Their chore was death, their chore, their chore was cruelty. Then they become hardened, they became hardened by it. We read in Hebrews uh, 3, 12 and 13, that one can be hardened by the, by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay. These men were just making a living, they probably never even thought about what they were doing as sin, but they had become hardened to it. The same thing can happen to us, yes, As we are exposed again and again and again, we become less sensitive to those things that ought to be embarrassing. We become less sensitive to those things that ought to strike our hearts, such as divorce, such as the perversion of marriage, such as bad words, such as immodesty. Such as violence and cruelty. It's. Uh, but think about yourself. Now, when you hear of a school shooting, now, when you hear of a shooting at a public place, the shock is just not there like it was when you first heard about it. You see, we can become hardened as well. Way back in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah chapter 6. Verse 15, he asked a question, Jeremiah 6 and verse 15. He said, were you ashamed when you committed these abominations? No, not at all. You were not ashamed. Neither could you blush. Yeah, neither could you blush. Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 18, we can become darkened in our understanding. We can become ignorant all because of a hardness of heart. So the first stop along Jesus' journey here is the governor's headquarters. And then the next stop is with Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene. Why is Simon in the picture? As Jesus makes his journey to the hill, then he needs help in bearing the cross. Of course he would need help. He's had no sleep. He's had no food for hours. He has nothing to drink uh, for hours, he has gone through this scourging, which creates an enormous loss of blood. And on top of all that is the emotional, uh, the emotional bearing of the sins of the world. On top of all that is the cross. Now, most likely, most likely out at the hill where they crucified, the pole itself is laying out there, and what Jesus is having to bear is the crossbeam uh, that would go across the shoulders and the back. That thing would weigh 125, 135 pounds itself. And so Simon is, is in the picture now. Okay. Now, let's bear in mind that Jesus theoretically and with, and with absolute power could stop all of this. Okay. He could do an incredible miracle here And stop every bit of this. As he mentioned to Peter earlier when he was arrested, Peter, put up your sword. Do you not know that I can at this time call 12 legions of angels? He could take care of the matter. He wouldn't need the 12 legions of angels. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God who created the world, could zap everyone right then. But he's not going to do that. He didn't do that because of his incredible love for you, for you, for me. They compel, if you notice in your reading, they compel Simon to bear, help Jesus bear the cross after him. Luke's account in Luke 23 says, they seized him. The Roman officials had the authority To compel anyone to help bear any burden that they felt needed to be be borne. And so they seized Simon and compelled him to help in this matter. It reminds you a little bit of what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 41, Sermon on the Mount. He said, Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. Jesus is teaching there, you know, be generous, be helpful, do not retaliate, stand for the gospel, but don't retaliate in certain matters. Rather be kind, be generous. If one compels you to go one mile, go with him too. I wonder if later if Simon didn't really stop and reflect on that verse very often. Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene is located near... Egypt, down toward Egypt, and there were a bunch of Jews there in that day, and obviously Simon was in town because it was Passover time. And he was just passing by. And they seized him, compelled him to help uh, with this journey. Simon had a family according to according to Mark's account, Mark 15, 21. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, whether they were already followers of Jesus, it doesn't say. But later, we know they are because Romans sixteen thirteen, Paul, in writing to the Christians in Rome, Romans sixteen thirteen, he mentions Rufus and Rufus's mother, and Paul had actually stayed at their house. They had been hospitable to Paul. So you have to wonder, is this for Simon a life changing event? Is this this an account of the providence of God? Is this something negative that has turned into the most incredible eternal positive for Simon? But here he is, a passerby. You helped with this cross and perhaps this, this journey completely changed the outlook of a Jewish person by the name of Simon of Cyrene. Perhaps this event caused him to really look into Jesus and really get his family looking into it, and maybe he became a true follower of the Lord. Seems like he did. And you have to wonder later on, not only did he not reflect upon Matthew 5 21 about bearing another's load, but also, don't you think that he had to? With stirred emotions, oftentimes did he not look back to this journey and talk to his children and talk to his grandchildren about how that by the grace of God, he was the one who was able to help Jesus go to the cross for the sins of the world. Next stop is the weeping women. This is found in Luke's account, Luke 23. Verses 27 through uh, 31, weeping women. Great multitudes of people as they came out of the city, came out of the headquarters of the governor, followed him, including a bunch of weeping women. They were lamenting, they were mourning. One thing we get from this, let's think about this carefully. One thing we get from this There was a bunch of hatred for Jesus in Jerusalem. But Jesus looked to these women and said, Daughters of Jerusalem. Which means they were from Jerusalem. There was a bunch of hatred for Jesus in Jerusalem. But that does not represent, that did not represent everyone. And it never does. Okay. Yes, there was enough hatred there for the officials to grow weak and Allow Jesus to go to the cross, but that didn't represent anyone. There's multitudes of people and a multitude of women coming, and they were totally in favor of Jesus, and they were not afraid to show their emotions for him. We, may, we need to bear that in mind as well. Okay. Just because the loudest voices are opposing something, doesn't mean everybody does. Just because the loudest voices are opposing the Lord Jesus and his word. That doesn't account for everybody. And Jesus gave the parable of the sower. He says there's four basic types of hearts. There's, there's hard hearts, there's shallow hearts, there's distracted hearts, but then there's good and honest hearts. So at least maybe, hopefully, one-fourth of the population has good and honest hearts, and maybe we need to keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. I was over here at Jack's yesterday and an older lady there and she has a young child with her, probably two, just two years old. That little girl was giving her all she could handle. But they were, they were happy and, and so I stopped and talked to them. This lady's name is Mary Price if you want to be praying for her, Mary Price. And I said, Mary, who you got there? That was her great grandbaby. She said, I've got six great grandbabies. Great grandbabies I said, what a blessing to be able to enjoy your great grandbabies. And so I said, you, you're going to church somewhere? No, but need to. Need to have this little one. I said, we've got just a Bible class for you. And I just happen to have in my pocket. Okay, I wear cargo pants all the time. I stuff them full of little tracks and Little kid cards. I I said, I just happened to have them in my pocket. I drug out some stuff and gave it to them. I believe she's a good and honest heart. They're out there. They're out there. The weeping women. Jesus said daughters of Jerusalem, but he also redirected their tears. He doesn't tell them to stop crying, but he does redirect their tears. He says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Don't weep for me. Now, Jesus had wept loudly when he first entered Jerusalem, Luke 19, 41. He did. He wept over the sin and the hypocrisy of Jerusalem. and he He just wept loudly. But the time for crying was over. They have now rejected their Savior. They have now rejected their Messiah. And now Jesus brings them back to reality. Don't weep for me. You weep for yourselves. Now, if you keep reading there in Luke 23, you'll see probably, most likely, one thing Jesus is doing is pointing down about 40 years later, there's going to come the Roman army upon the the city of Jerusalem. It's going to be great physical destruction. I don't doubt that a bit. But also, Jesus can do more than one thing at a time. I think he's really trying to get these women to understand what is really going on at this time. This is... Do you really comprehend the fact that this is the prophecies being fulfilled right here? That this is the Messiah dying for your sins? That the kingdom is about to be set up? Do you really understand that the Lord is now acting? All the, all the stories, all the prophecies you've been hearing, these are all true and they're coming forth and they're being fulfilled at this time. Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. If you don't understand what's going on, weep for yourselves, weep for your children because this very thing that's happening now can have a tremendous impact upon you and your soul and, and upon your children and their souls. Understand, understand. He even says there, he brings out a little proverb that says, if they do this to the green tree, what would they do to the dry wood? Jesus is the green tree. He's, he's the only one who has lived perfectly. He's the green tree. You can't. It's hard to burn a green tree, but dry wood's pretty easy to the rest, the rest of us. You know, especially the Jewish nation at that time, but that's the rest of us. Okay. If they do this to me, you see what they're doing to me? What do you think they're going to do to you if you follow me? You better get strong. You better build up your faith. You better understand what's going on. You better understand what life's all about. The weeping, weeping. And then the next area we talk about on this journey is the actual place of crucifixion. Matthew 27, 33, and 34. The place is called the skull. The skull. The Greek word here is, to, is familiar to us, cranium. Word, the Greek word is cranium, which means skull. Okay. Now, sometimes it's called Golgotha. That's the Aramaic word, Golgotha. Sometimes it's called Calvary. That's the Latin word. For a skull. Calvary. Calvary. But literally here in our Greek New Testaments, it's the place of the skull. And you can understand why it would be called this. This is the place of execution. Okay, this is a place you don't really want to be. Okay, this, is, this is worse than a concentration camp. This is, this is the place of crucifixion. The place of, of the skull. And here, here they come. Here they come to this place. At this place, if you'll notice, they offer Jesus a narcotic, okay? Sour wine mixed with gall. Jesus tasted it, but he would not drink it because he is going to be paying the price for sin, which includes the full suffering, okay? Jesus is not going to nullify. He's not going to modify. He's not gonna dilute the cup of suffering, He had prayed earlier, Matthew 26, 39. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours will be done. He is now in full submission to the Father's will. He will take, he will drink every bit of the cup of suffering. He will not dilute it. He will not not shade it with any kind of narcotic. He is going to be paying the full price of sin which includes the suffering. Never forget the suffering. Okay. Crucifixion is chosen because of sin and the suffering that had to take place by our Lord for a sin. We read in Isaiah 53 verse 5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. With His stripes we are healed. The word bruised there is sometimes translated crushed, crushed. He was crushed for our sins. Jesus often talked about his suffering. Matthew 16, 21, he says, The Son of Man must suffer. That's always first. Yes, he's going to be delivered into the hands of the chief priests and scribes and the elders, but he must first suffer at their hands and then be crucified raised on the third day, absolutely, but he first must suffer. If you read very much of uh, the sermons in the book of Acts, you'll see they talk a lot about the suffering of our Lord and so should we. At this place, they offer him a narcotic that he, he refuses, of course. This place, and we won't, we won't belabor this idea, but this place is outside the city. Okay, we'll study this more in detail later. But Hebrews 13 verses 10, 11, 12 talk about how that under the old law under the old law the priests would bring their animal sacrifices and they would, they would slay them just outside the holy place and they would take the blood into the holy place and offer it for the sins of the people. And what were they to do with the Refuse of the animal they just slain. What would they do with the carcass of the animal? They would take it outside the camp, outside the city, and burn it. So, the Hebrews writer, Hebrews 13, 11, and 12, talks about how Jesus had to die, to be crucified outside the city gates, outside the camp. Okay. Jesus is our sacrifice. And then we talk about the crucifixion itself here in verses 35 and 36. The first thing they do as they get to Calvary's hill there, they, they crucify him. That is, they nail him uh, to the cross. And then they nail his feet to the cross. They crucify him. They strip him of his clothes. Again, remember, shame, 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 and shame. The thing on their mind is pain and shame. So they strip him of his clothes. Of his clothes. And then they set a watch over him. From all indications, they they would assign a number of soldiers to one crucified victim. And their job, until he died, was to watch him so no one would come and And tried to help him. They would watch him until he died. Jesus had that watch of soldiers over him. He actually died. And on the third day he actually came forth. He actually died. There were witnesses to his death. But on the third day the tomb was indeed empty. He did rise from the dead. And then there as they crucify him. Above his head, they put the charge. Why are they crucified? They had, they had the tradition of putting the charge against him. And the charge, the only charge they came up with, Jesus, is to put down, this is Jesus of Nazareth, a king of the Jews. The Jews didn't like the fact that it said king of the Jews. They tried to get Pilate to, to change that. But Pilate says, what I have written, I have written. And they did not change it. This was charge was written, it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, John tells us in John 19, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. In other words, they wanted, for a typical crucified victim, they wanted everybody who, who happened to be passing by, coming into the city, and see they see these crucified victims out there, they wanted them to know, here's why he's on the cross. In an unintended way, they're actually putting a great emphasis on the mission of Jesus. Jesus is on the cross to die for every man, Hebrews 2 verse 9. He tasted death for every man. This is somewhat of a preview of the great commission that Jesus will give here in just a few few days to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Indeed, every person of every language needs to see Jesus on the cross because his salvation is available to everyone. And as you read in Matthew 27 and 38, there are three crosses. There are two robbers. One is crucified on his right side, one on his left side. There are three crosses Oftentimes, the three crosses have three words that are attached to them. We studied this past Wednesday night that one of the robbers actually uh, was in a state of repentance. But the other robber was in a state of rebellion. So Jesus represents redemption. One other being crucified there, one other cross, represents rebellion And the other cross represents repentance. And so we've got the redemption before us. And which which one am I going to choose? Am I going to choose rebellion or repentance? I want to choose the one in the middle. Jesus, the man in the middle. We look at the man in the mirror sometimes. The man in the mirror needs to choose the one in the middle. The man in the middle here is the only one that can fix the man in the mirror. The three crosses. You can use the letter S here. Jesus' cross stands for salvation. One robber was stubborn. The other other robber was submissive. Which one am I going to be? Am I going to be stubborn against salvation or am I going to be submissive to the Lord's gospel? few takeaways as we get finished here. Things to remember. Remember how bad sin is. Okay. It's not just a news item. It's not something that just takes place. It required the suffering of the sinless Savior. Any sin ought to cause us to get on our knees and repent and submit to the Lord's plan. Remember that in God's plan and wisdom, the method of death had to include blood because it's through the blood of Jesus that our robes can be made white, Revelation 7, 13, and 14. It's only through the blood of Jesus that our sins can be cleansed. When when the Lord was talking about the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26 and 28, He said concerning the fruit of the vine, This is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Remember the curse. The curse of sin. And remember also that Galatians 3, 10, 11, 12, 13 says that Jesus became a curse for us. It was written in the old law, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That ultimately pointed to Jesus because he's hung on this tree The curse of sin is in the world. We deserve to die because of this curse. He became a curse for us. Remember that the only thing that we have to point to is the cross. You recall Paul's words, Galatians 6, 14, Far be it from me, ladies and gentlemen, please read that, Far be it from me to glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to glory. I'm not going to boast. Far, Paul's saying, far be it from me to boast of anything except the cross. The cross is our only banner. The cross is our only badge. That We point to the cross, not to ourselves. None of this does anyone any good if we don't submit and obey him. That's why as Peter on the day of Pentecost, he, he goes through the suffering of Jesus, his resurrection, his ascension upon high. And he gives them the plan to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The journey, the journey, most important journey ever taken by one walking on this earth. Will you come this morning as we stand as we sing?